0: Welcome to the Sons of Technology Clubhouse, ditch your fear at the door, take a risk and enjoy the ride with your hosts, Joe Marquez and Kyle Anderson. Hey everybody, welcome to the Sons of Technology Clubhouse. This is Kyle Anderson. Today we're bringing to you part two of our equity trilogy. It's a little bit longer than our previous episodes, but it's because we had several people that joined in on the conversation. Besides Joe Marquez, who's at Joe Marquez 70 on Twitter, and myself, at AndersonEdTech, we're joined by Corey Koble, who's at CVRScience7 on Twitter, David Platt, who is at AirPlatt, H-E-R-R-P-L-A-T-T, and Jesus Huerta, at Jesus H 1979 It was a great conversation about enrichment activities that contribute to bridging the gap in equity in our schools today. We hope that you enjoy. Welcome
1: again, thank you so much for joining us here in the Sons of Technology Clubhouse. I am Joe Marquez. I'm a Google innovator and Google trainer, but the number one thing I always like to be called is I am a teacher. And we are here again to talk to you about uh, equity in the classroom. This is part two of a three-part episode. Um, And so I want to go ahead and uh, shoot you over to my partner in crime, Kyle. Kyle, go ahead and introduce
0: yourself. All right. So I'm Kyle Anderson. I am a special education teacher in northern Nevada. I am a Google certified educator level one and two. I'm a Paradex certified coach and among other things. But none of those things matter because like you, Joe, I am also a teacher. All right, hey, I'm David Platt, and uh, I'm a Google
2: Certified Innovator and Trainer down here in Southern California, uh, and I teach EL and Computer Science and uh, Facilitate Student Podcasting.
3: Hey, good morning everyone, I am Corey Koval, I teach 7th grade Science and Computer Science up here in Roseville, California, just outside Sacramento. Uh, my name is is Huerta, I teach 5th grade in
4: Central California. Uh, If you've never heard of it, it's okay. We're way far south, like 10 minutes from uh, Mexico. Uh, (laughs) I Google level one and two, Um, but same thing, you know, number one thing is being a teacher.
1: Excellent. And, you know, uh, gentlemen, thank you for being here. You know, we always love to have a full clubhouse. And, you know, know, when uh, Kyle and I first started doing this, it was just us two. And then episode three rolled around, Corey, you came along. And now we have six people here talking in the clubhouse. So it's going to be a great conversation. And and what is this conversation going to be about? Well, we are continuing our equity trilogy, and this is going to be part two. A quick recap on part one, um, if you haven't uh, listened to it. Well, if you haven't listened to it, pause right now. Go back and listen to it and come back and join us. Welcome back. All right, so part one was all about class sizes and we were talking about how class sizes can create an inequitable environment for students and we were also talking about how you know equality of class sizes isn't necessarily um, uh, creating equity in class sizes so we would love for you to go back and listen to that today we are going to be talking about enrichment activities. Enrichment activities are going to cover electives, after-school programs, sports, So, anything that really delves delves into activities that really bring joy to students, where they get to pick what they're going to do and what brings them joy. Now, I do want to make sure everybody listening knows that we are going to be bringing up all different types of comments here. Now, we're going to be talking about how the enrichment activities really bring joy to the students, but we're also going to be talking about things that may be a little bit controversial. So um, it's not necessarily things we believe, but we believe that we need to bring up all aspects of this so that we can have a fully rounded conversation. So please keep that in mind as you are listening. So as we we did say, today's topic is going to be about enrichment activities. And enrichment activities, I believe, are incredibly important. And one of the reasons they're important is because of what we talked about in our first episode of this equity trilogy: class sizes. If class sizes are too large, it is extremely hard to create that personal relationship with our students. Right? It's it's extremely difficult if you have 180 kids when you're in secondary to have a relationship with each and every one, and and that and that that hurts me a little bit. So. The enrichment activity allows for a class size to be lower, but also it allows for the teacher to get that personal relationship with the kids. And it really brings the kids into education because we're talking about something they enjoy. So I would like to throw it to the group. Um, what are your thoughts on um, the different kinds of enrichment activities you like to see uh, in your schools or districts or communities?
2: Well, so let me ask you guys, do you guys have ACES, like after school enrichment, at your school? Not really, not at, uh, not at my site. And uh, I do teach high school, so we don't have too much of that. I mean, there are a lot of uh, clubs that they have um, during, the, during the week, but those usually meet at lunch. Uh, and there are a variety of academic and non-academic clubs to help meet student needs
0: my school yeah, but, does have some after school tutoring kind of programs that are optional Though there's nothing that we can do to force a kid to go to after school tutoring in fact as a special education teacher we have talked in the past as a department is that an accommodation that we could use to where they could do it? Um, but it's been a resounding no, because you're talking about forcing a kid to stay after school in order to meet something that goes into a legal document. But there's also a wide variety of other clubs as well, different academic clubs, social clubs. And then of course, you have your sports as well, which you know the sports are typically the ones that are the most popular. Yeah, my middle school, we have sports after school, but um,
3: for years we had uh, exploratories that uh, also included, uh, like, intervention time for students uh, who are struggling. Um, This is the first year we've gone um, and uh, done an intervention time built into our day, Uh, so a 30-minute intervention time, and then they have a a full choice of exploratories from computer science all the way to uh, drama um, built in during the day. Um, So, yeah. Now, now, let me ask you guys this question. So,
1: I hear I hear a lot of this as you know uh, clubs and 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 maybe some after school clubs. Um, I hear a lot of teachers say that they would love to have these clubs after school. They would love to have these clubs, but there's no funds for it. And and what I mean funds, it's, I mean that in two different parts. One is you know a lot of these enrichment activities, a lot of these clubs need materials, right? And so if there's no funds for the materials, you can't have the club. But also some teachers want a little bit extra compensation for staying after school, right? If the football team coaches, they get a, a stipend, why shouldn't a club coach also get a stipend? And so there may not be access or uh, availability of those stipends as well. So what are your guys' thoughts on that? Your thoughts on how can we get materials for these clubs? And, and, and I'm, I'm focusing on clubs at the moment because a lot of times clubs are um, mm-hmm. kind of a grassroots, something that has grown. Uh, there's student interest, they look for an advisor, and then they create the club. So it's not really something on the radar for compensation by the school or the district. So I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. So we'll start with clubs. We'll talk about these enrichment activities. How, how would you go about funding these clubs, and how would you go about promoting these clubs so that you can get as many students involved in them as possible?
4: So well, we have that, that after school thing, and it, it runs from three to six. Um, usually like academic and then they have like a dance they have like a dance club kind of like classroom then they have like guitar and all that um but there's money there for like materials but for them to have a teacher do something after school they would have to be paid out of those funds so i had volunteered like hey why well, could just do it and i guess legally i can't volunteer my time during ACES, because they have to be serviced during ACES. If if I'm saying it wrong, and they say, hey, he was wrong, but that's kind of how it was explained to me. Basically, I couldn't go work with these kids pull them out of that program unless I was part of the program, and I couldn't volunteer. I had to be paid, and for them to pay me was too much money per hour. So they're like, we can't afford that. But then, at my site, there's nobody that runs technology like that. There's nobody really there like that, Um, except for myself and another teacher. There's, you know, kids that are, like, studying to be teachers, or they're just out of high school, and they don't have, like, an understanding of, like, okay, how to teach it, you know, how to teach the depending on, you know. So, you know, there's money for materials, but then to pay someone qualified, which, I mean, I don't care if I even get paid or not, um, there's, like, this weird, like, whole <clears throat> mess right there, so. Yeah.
3: Well, my district, it's, uh, it's, it's in the contract. Um, we they actually have a club stipend, you know, um, like a couple hundred dollars. I mean, it's not much, but, and then we have to, you know, have roll sheets and certain number of hours of student contact time after school, uh, after our contract time. Uh, but it's built into the um, contracts.
1: Hey, uh, Susan, I, I kind of want to go back to what you were saying a little bit. Uh, I want to hit on two things that you said. One was you said you wanted to donate your time, but because of the way that the program is set up, they wouldn't allow you to do that. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. And because, you know, it's, I hear a lot of teachers that don't, I, I, and I know some people will be like, no, we do care. But I, I hear a lot of teachers who don't care about the money, right? Because it's just a small drop in the bucket um, compared to what you would get paid for some other things. Um, but they don't care about the money. They just want to give the experience to the kids. And I so mean, when, you, when you want to do that and they say, sorry, you can't because legally we have to pay you, but we can't. We don't have money to pay you, so you can't do it. To me, that sounds a little off-putting when we're trying to put kids first.
4: Yeah, and I'm, I mean, it, I'm not saying every teacher should, but um, I'll say 80, 90 percent of the stuff in my classroom is out of my pocket. So I'll go find, like, side jobs, nothing like, you know, and, and it's not I'm not disparaging or putting down, like, you know, Walmart or Target, but something where I can give a PD here, like a lead learner event. Last year, there's a neighboring district, district and they're doing a lot of stuff with, with ACES. Um, they have, like, you know, drones, they have 3D printing. They just need more, like, staff and teachers to say, hey, you know what, I'm going to take it and run with it. But last year, I mean, I worked the summer for them, and I designed, like, a... They had summer school, but then they had a sister in summer school. So it was just one hour after the three hours in the morning. And so that extra money, I mean, I used it to, you know, pay some bills, take my family on vacation. And then I'm like, okay, let me invest some more in my classroom. Um, So for me, it's not, like, you know, I'm hoarding all this money. Um, Like, right now I'm 3D printing some stuff at home because I'm going to give it to somebody during Q, and they're going to pay me for it. I tell my wife, uh, I'm going to use that money. She goes, yeah, I know. You're going to use it for your, your bathroom. But sometimes she'll be like, yeah, we're going to wait on that. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't need it. And she's like, can you wait like a month? I'm like, I, yeah, I guess so. You know, I'm like that. But, um, yeah, I, I don't care about the money. I, I don't. I mean, it, it doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, I mean, because we're all educators, so that's exactly what I want. But David, I'd love to hear your take on this because mm -hmm. you do a a lot of phenomenal things in your class, uh, podcasting and and Arduinos and all these different great enrichment activities. I want to hear, are those done during a club or are they actually done during school time?
2: Well, for me, it's all done during class time. I don't don't have actually time in my schedule to do anything that's really after school. Um, Lunchtime? Sure. you know as far as my district is concerned um, i would say there's if you're doing a club it's it is on a teacher's own free will they aren't required to be there so under just under our union <clears throat> contract we uh, you know there's there's no compensation or the district would have to compensate us or anything like that um, now as far as as far as funding is concerned um, you know the. Funding can always be found. All right, there's there is money out that a district and a school site has um, that they can use for that, uh, and they can they can. And that's what administrators do. They can find unique ways to find money and uh, make it fit. Um, but you know, it, it, for for. I'm I'm a real proponent of if you if you care about it you're going to do it and yeah that's not if it's if it's after school or if it's um, in time outside of the classroom you're you're going to do it and there's not going to be compensation now in regards to things like uh, Arduino or or podcasting those types of things that I've done um, I I like to hit up donors choose and I really encourage a lot of teachers to. To tap into donors choose and learn how to how to write little grants and get get funding because it can happen and um, I've I've gotten four funded so far.
3: Yeah, I've got a number of uh, projects like three D printers and uh, you know maker space stuff, uh, the Lego stuff uh, through donors choose or uh, Q PTA. I mean, there's always funding out there for something if you really really have a passion for it to bring that enrichment to the kids there's ways to get that money indeed yeah you know I always tell teachers
1: always have at least two donors choose things going on at once Uh, because you always have those companies looking for a tax break and so say they'll say I'm gonna fund everything in California and everything will get funded or like that uh, ripple last year right they funded everything on the site itself and so I always tell to teachers always have at least two funding options on donors choose under a thousand dollars and I say under a thousand because a lot of times it says, you know, we'll fund everything that is under a thousand dollars. So that's usually a benchmark a lot of companies say. Um, and so if you have at least two, I mean, it does run out. It's clocked every once in a while. But shoot, you may get something funded just because you have somebody say, hey, we're going to pay for everybody. Yep. Right. We, we, we uh, teachers, you know, we spend, hey, she like, said this already. Teachers spend a lot of their own money, right, out of the joy of their students. Just like myself as a father, I love spending money on my daughters, right? And so as a teacher, I I love spending money on my students, but I don't love spending it all the time when you start adding it all up. And so when we as teachers can, um, you know, see the kindness of strangers to add to the educational process, I think it not only brings joy to us to see that the outside community really uh, enjoys what we're doing, but also it shows the students hey, look what you can do when you have a purpose and you write something out and it resonates with people and look what you get because of that. I think it's a great learning opportunity for our kids. I have a question for you guys. Yeah. Uh,
4: not to be controversial, but um, have you guys heard or what do you guys think about, like say, districts that don't allow donors shoes Or have um, something written? Um, I know in uh, Arizona, there's a district that The teachers have to write up the proposal and submit it to the district, and somebody from the district submits it, so then it becomes district property. What do you
2: think about stuff like that?
1: Boo! (laughs) That's what I say to that. (laughs) Yeah, I
2: don't, I don't agree with that at all. I
0: think, yeah, the short blunt for the short blunt answer to that, in my opinion, is that if you're going to tell a teacher, no, you cannot write this grant, no, you cannot participate in donors choose, that district better have the money to be able to provide to you and if they don't have the money to be able to explain to you why it's so it's such a terrible idea that you write your own grant to get that. That's the short blunt answer. Now obviously there's a lot more bureaucracy red tape to go through in regards to a lot of policies like that. But if I'm a teacher in a district like that, um, <coughs> sad to say, I'm probably looking for another place to go work. David, what about you, David? You, I, you said you've had a,
1: quite a few funded. Have you had an issue with your school district in that fashion?
2: No, our district has not actually implemented or has any policies regarding, uh, regarding donors choose. We have uh, quite a few teachers um, at my site and within the district as a whole who get funded and get funded frequently for, for donors choose. I, I, wouldn't, I, I really wouldn't know what to do if my district said uh, you have to go get things approved. I might just say, no, I think I'm going to do it my way and they'd probably still just do it and then uh, wait until they either slap me on the wrist and then have to justify
3: it. Corey, what do yeah, you Corey? Okay, my district, um, the only thing they ask is that we fill out a little uh, form, a little paper, uh, just so that people are aware that I'm doing it. Um, I've never been denied, um, but you know, the district wants to know what I'm you know, asking for because, you know, they don't want me to be asking for, you know, a new, uh, you know, kegerator for my classroom or anything like that. Um, so I'm sure that, you know, I'm sure those districts that have done that or, you know, implemented those policies have probably been burned. Um, teachers get a whole bunch of stuff that, you know, is really cool and then they take it with them. Um, so, I mean, I understand the district side of it a little bit um, with them wanting to at least know what's going on with, uh, you know, their name being out there on the donors shoes or other sites like that. Um, But, uh, no, I don't agree with just completely everybody can't, you know, try to get funding for their classroom for these kind of innovative projects that are, you know, could get a good name for their district.
1: And you know what? I think this is a great topic on on getting funding and donors choose and and the the best ins and outs of how to do it. I think that's going to actually be a good actual longer episode that we can talk about. But I'd I'd like to get back on track a little bit about about the students themselves being participants in an enrichment activity. So we talked a little bit about clubs being done after school and then David, we talked a little bit about you actually doing these enrichment activities during your actual class time. So I want to talk about that. Uh, right now, just based upon all your experiences. Hey, um, you know, Seuss, I want you to throw your 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 ideas in there, and um, Kyle and Corey, I want you to as well, uh, because I think a lot of these activities can be done in an actual class environment, right? If a teacher knows how to incorporate um, this new pedagogical approach, like podcasting instead of just writing, I think that's a great new way of approaching these enrichment activities. But I also want to talk about the accessibility and availability. Of various um, classes that can be done during the course of the, the the elective classes that can be done during the course of the day. Um, so what I'd like to hear is a couple things from us in the group. Number one, how do you incorporate enrichment activities that are seemed out of the norm within your uh, within your classroom atmosphere? But also number two, what what kind of electives are offered to your students, and do you think they're enough? And do you think um, all schools have them, or do you think it's special to your site
2: oh gosh that's a <laughs> that's a that's a, a good a good question now i think that it's uh it seems to be uh dependent upon site and dependent upon district as to what Types of uh, extracurricular activities are are available. Now, my district, they, the three high schools actually have different uh, learning tracks uh, f- uh, for students. So, for example, we have a an ag farm at my site, um, and students can and can go through ag biology. And we also have uh, uh, physics with Project Lead the Way. We have an IT track that uh, I do. There is a another program that does um, health medicine, uh, health and and gets try to get students into a uh, medicine track. So there, in in regards to the extracurricular or the other classes that are available for students, I mean, there's, there's a lot out there. And then the different sites in our district offer things like engineering or they have a performing arts academy and things like that. Um, what that ends up doing, though, is that you know, if if most students can get transferred to another high school um, if they want to be part of that track, but I'm um, te- I'm I'm also of the opinion that I like to see uh, more things in the arts available at all schools. So, for example, we have great uh, a great band program at my at my site. Um, we have a teacher who works really hard to build a to build a theater program as well for for students. Um, the one thing that we do miss is uh, things like like. Uh, orchestra and um, and other and other performing arts classes.
1: Very good. Um, and, and I, I want to ask this: um, mm-hmm. if and, and this is going to be a controversial topic, so I want you guys to really speak your mind. And so I'm going to play devil's advocate here. You know, I, I see a lot of schools who have a lot of great extracurricular activities, a lot of great—sorry, not extracurricular, but but uh, elective activities. Um, but a lot of students are being held out of them because of academic reasons. So let's say you have some EL kids who are being held out of uh, going to an elective because they need extra time to learn the English language, right? Or you have a lot of kids that are being held out of an elective because they're, they're falling behind in their math class or their, their this class or that class. And so, you know, a lot of proponents of that is, hey, you know what, math is extremely important over an elective so they need that extra class of math reading is extremely important so they need that extra read 180 class and so a lot of districts are like well you know what the elective is for kids that are accomplishing what they need to do during the course of the day so if you're not you have to be pulled out of those so that's some of the districts that's some of the mindset in some of the schools i want to hear your thoughts on that should should those students those intervention kids those kids falling behind those kids who are struggling with the english language should they be held out of electives because they need those extra courses to get caught up? Or do you think that the electives are essential uh, as to to actually be a part of the school?
4: No, they shouldn't be held out of it. Um, So I I have like this little thing that I do, it's stations. Uh, This year kind of went away from it for different reasons. Um, But I'll probably go back to it next year. Um, But I mean, we have Arduino, we have robots, we have 3D printing, we do art. David, thank you for mentioning that. such a huge thing. I hate people when they say STEM. It's, it's STEAM. It should be STEAM. Art, art is so important. Indeed um, it is. Yep. It's, it's huge. And you know what? I, I don't exclude students. Um, I kind of did this here for like a week or two because of AR. We're, we're an AR school. And, I mean, I go home. I hang out with my kids. Then I work. And while I'm working, I'm reflecting. I'm like, man, you to stop doing this. And I'm glad I did because... Um, one of the you mentioned how to how to weave it in there, so I do a video game design, not competition, but we do like a game festival at the end of this. But they have to write a narrative, so there's one of their their standards that they have to meet. Um, I think they do really well with it because they have something to buy into. They're going to make a video game. At the end. This is the Bloxos program, right? That you were yeah. doing.
3: Okay. That's cool. That's cool.
4: Yesterday, kid showed me one. He's an el. It was amazing. I was like, wow. And and see my background is teaching. Left it for a little bit. Went into game design. Left that and came back and became teacher. Just the way he did everything. I was like, I, I didn't have to tell him anything. He just went home and, and the tablets I sent <coughs> home, they're, they're cheapy little fire tablets. Um and I go, wait, how long have you been taking this home? He goes, No, I worked on it last night. I go for how long? He goes, he just shook his head like he didn't want to tell me how long he on it. <laughs> <laughs> He got there and, and just worked on it. He's not the best writer. So he shouldn't be able to take the with with He's he's the best game maker in that class, like he's leagues above everybody else. Leagues. And to yeah. is not fair. I have another one that I mean teachers would tell me, Well, you have him, oh you better watch out. And yeah, he's a handful, but nothing bad. And with robotics. Any angle I put something at, I tell i alright, you go over there. He'll know the angle almost on the first try. He's awesome. And yeah, uh, yeah, you can't exclude them.
3: No. I, I 100 percent agree with you. Is um, I for our district um, for a long time we would uh, pull kids out of exploratory class uh, for a you know full trimester math intervention. Say you're struggling in math, and you all you do during your exploratory time is sit there and review your math facts. And I felt so bad for these kids. And there's a couple of them that, you know, they were on track for being the whole year in a math uh, pullout, you know, doing exploratory. I took them in third trimester, we did paper circuits. And these were tough kids. I mean, they didn't they didn't succeed in a lot of classes, but I showed them how to make a circuit and make an LED light up with a button, button battery. They smiled for the first time because they controlled something, yeah. and I think the, the game design thing is the same way. When they, when these kids are struggling with language arts or math or something like that, and they can control something and make something happen themselves without being told what to do, um, giving them that creative freedom, um, you see a lot of success in them that they never knew they had before. And I, I, I don't agree with pulling them out all year. I think that they should be, you know, motivated to try. And those ones that do work hard to improve even a little bit should be able to go into programs like art or um, animations or do something to creative that they can control. Um, they yeah. need that.
1: I mean, yeah, the- I, I, I agree a hundred percent. I applaud you right there because you know one of the things is this: students need to have joy, yep. right? Students come to school when they feel they are a part of something, when they feel it is beneficial to them. And they feel there is an adult there that is looking out for their best interests. And Mm -hmm. when they're constantly being told, you have to go to this intervention, you have to be that intervention, we're going to pull you out of this, you're not going to get elected like your other friends. They start feeling like they're not part of the school. They feel like they're different. And so I think it's incredibly important that teachers find ways to incorporate enrichment activities into the class which will get them involved in the topic that they're, they're being discussed and so they'll want to learn a little bit more. Like I've seen things done in math classes where, you know, we're not doing worksheets, right? And I know that's a huge thing in our, in our group of friends. Well, worksheets are bad, right? It should be experiences. And so you, by giving kids a problem to solve, not necessarily an equation to solve, they're more likely to investigate and enjoy that investigation. And so I think a lot of this can be solved, this intervention can be solved by different approaches in the classroom. But that requires a lot of PD, right? Mm-hmm. Because, Jesus, you do the Bloxel program, but if you left your school, is there anybody else that could pick that up and run with it?
4: No, I'm not going to try to humble brag.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think, so I think that <laughs> I one know. of the problems is, uh, you know, one of our monikers here is, is that we're EDUs of innovation. We've looked. For that differential idea and ways to incorporate things and get kids involved, um, but the school districts don't necessarily have PD on that EDU of innovation. It's like, well, Jesus is doing it; he's doing an amazing job, and they don't say, "Hey, we're gonna, you know, set a time during our next staff development day, and you're gonna train all the teachers on what you're doing." Right? That'd be amazing if they did, but that's not really gonna happen. So I think you know, part of this equity issue is is that we don't have enough PD. To get teachers excited or or uh, uh, into a new way of approaching a problem.
2: Okay, I would you know I was gonna I'm gonna add on to that. PD is is very important, but you do you have to. It's also a, it's also a cultural shift, yes. right? Because you have a mindset into teachers that I don't have enough time. Yep. I don't have enough time in my day, I don't have enough time in my week, I don't have enough time in the school year to add another thing. But then it's a cultural shift because they don't understand that those very things are part of their core curriculum or they can, they can uh, create units that, in, uh, that use those uh, different types of enrichment activities to make it, again, as you said, an experience.
3: Well, I was reading that uh, blog post from Catherine Goyette that you sent us, um, oh, yeah. the, the back, back to Basics uh, Mindset, and I highlighted one part of it. It says, life is not divided into subject areas. Why should learning be any different? And I think that's what we need the, the PD to be is like, just, hey, teachers, look, you know, we understand you're passionate about your subject, but let's look a little bigger than this. Let's look at these experiences that we can give our kids, um, start shifting your mind from, I just got to drill that math fact into them. I got to, you know, make them write that perfect paragraph. Some of, you know, some things in life are not going to be a perfect paragraph. It's going to be a messy, creative, you know, thing. And that's okay. No,
1: absolutely. And Corey, I appreciate you bringing up Kat's name because she wanted to be here for this conversation, but she just couldn't make it. And so, uh, you know, a lot of these things we're talking about, she, she asked us to bring up. And so I appreciate you bringing up that blog post because you're absolutely right. You know, it's and I, I, I always like the actually my, my wife brings up the point that, you know, men's brains are like um, uh, uh, waffles where everything's encapsulated in these different areas and it's, you know, they're, they're walled off from each other. And, 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 and I don't want to get anybody in trouble. My wife said women's brains are like spaghetti where everything is interconnected where one thing can affect another thing, right? And so sometimes I think our students, their idea of school is like a waffle where every subject is independent of itself and those two subjects can't broach each other. Uh, when I think it should be like spaghetti where, you know, ma- math should be incorporated with a physics class because there's a lot of math in physics. So you can be talking with a math teacher and a physics teacher and have one common lesson, right? You can have an English teacher involved in that and they can write a report on that. You can have an elective teacher on that and they can record a news broadcast with green screen on that, right? You can bring all these different subjects together to create one amazing lesson rather than asking kids to do you know, one project for each class which can be overwhelming to them, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so the idea of bringing every subject together I think is an incredibly important one. And, 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 and Dave, to your point, it's that mindset shift, right? Because a lot of teachers say it's my subject, it's my thing, it's my this. And they don't really talk with others or school districts have interdepartmental meetings, uh, but whole staff meetings aren't used to talk about things like this. Right. And so I think you're absolutely right all the way across the board here that that it's an idea change that has to be changed uh, from an administrative level to see that big idea. Like, hey, look, this look what we can do in all these classes. A- instead of making them compartmentalized, let's make a whole a whole school experience, not a departmental. Experience. Yeah,
2: and we get into that. We get into that mindset of, uh, especially in high school, that we're an island and we're all by ourselves. So it, our site has taken, has taken years to start uh, breaking through that uh, those boundaries, so that we are doing much more cross uh, curricular collaboration. Yeah, very there's a
4: there's a stigma for for some educators that when they talk about, like, oh, well, they're working on robotics and they see the kids out there, you know, like I take mine up to the basketball court. Um, I, not where I'm at now, but in another district I was at before, they were like, oh, all they're doing is playing video games. And it's like, no, I mean, we do our math. And yeah, that's what the kids talk about. You know, they're on the field talking about, oh, do I'm making a game, or I worked with robots, or I designed something, 3D printed it. They're not gonna go and say, hey, I learned 12 times 12. It it's not exciting to them. It's important, and I'm not, mm-hmm. that. but I think if if the if the shift happens, like David mentioned, and there's different types of PD, I think teachers will understand. Oh, okay, so you know the writing part happens, but if a student excels, pushes themselves, does it at home, they can come in, and now that 30 minutes of writing is no longer writing. They already got it done. They did the editing process, all that. Now they have time, more time to work on their game, more time to work on their cardboard arcade game, their board game, or whatever other project they're working on. So it's not that I go and oh, go sit over there. I'm going to be back there on my computer. You guys have you know five hours of just be on those tablets. No, I'm behind them walking around. I mean, thousands of steps a day because I'm just behind them. Like, okay, where are you at? Okay, where are you at? Okay, you're still on two paragraphs. Everybody else, (laughs) you know, what can I do? Let me work with you. No, I can't try your game because I need to help this person or that person. And it's 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 not as easy as it sounds. Like oh great, we're making a video game, and I'm you know yeah, I, no. I walk home and I'm like man, I'm like beat some days. Because. Hey, that's that's
1: hilarious because I would love to see a thing on Twitter called Fitbit Teacher, right? <laughs> and everybody posts what their steps were for the day, right? And then this is the lesson I did. This is how many steps I had. You're right? that'd be a, a hilarious graph to make. I know that's a nerdy thing to say, but uh, let's let's graph it. <laughs> that'd be mm-hmm. hilarious. Um, you know. Kyle, you've been kind of quiet, uh, you know, and and your, your your soothing voice is actually needed quite a bit right now. So uh, I, I want to, I want to, because you're coming from a, a different mindset, right? Because you you're you're a, a part of the special ed uh, class. So I want to hear your thoughts of incorporating some of these things into the special ed class, or at at least your mindset on 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 these ideas coming from that mindset.
0: Well. For the most part, I have been a little bit quiet because I've just been sitting back enjoying hearing so much of what the four of you have been presenting. And it's really, it's sparked a lot of different things in my mind. And there just really hasn't been a moment where I felt like this is the perfect time to step into it or whatever. And again, because you guys are doing such a great job. But um, what I'm really getting out of this is both from the student perspective and the teacher educator perspective is that it really boils down to motivation. If we can provide things... Whether it's of an academic nature or if it's more of like a social nature to our students as a motivator, okay, I'm all for something like that. Um, I'm an athlete from way back when I played baseball, football, basketball growing up. I was fortunate enough to be able to carry on my love of football into college and play there for four years. And one of the things that was a theme throughout all my time of playing sports was that all of my coaches were really good about your academics come first. If that meant that you were struggling in the classroom, that meant that you had to do something in order to take care of your academics before you could be rewarded, quote unquote, throwing up the air quotes here, with playing time or whatever it may be, out on the field, on the court, or whatnot. So, And I did coach for about nine years as well, and this was something that I carried on as a coach and that the coaches I worked with, we did as well. and what it really boiled down to was you had some students that they were never going to do the schoolwork. they were there specifically for football for basketball whichever sport it was but during season that student knew that they had to take care of the academics first if they wanted to see the field so that was a motivator for that student take care of the academics so they could be out on the field Those were there was a lot of them that we had to take care of after the season ended because if you didn't pay attention, then they would just fall off and then they were going to go about failing classes all over again. So, and then, but the same thing when it comes to more of academic activities, clubs, um, whatever you want to call it. I mean, why would you take away? something like a robotics club or or a video gaming design class from a student because they can't read well or because their math facts are not up to snuff okay to me also yeah it is important to be able to read well and it's important to know your math facts but at the same time though i haven't taken math in 20 years i look at a geometric equation at this point in my life i'm like i haven't used this in 20 years i mean math helped me to become a better problem solver ultimately, but why would I take away a student's interest into something that could potentially become a career for them, something they could do for the rest of their life just because they don't know their times their times tables or something like oh. that?
1: I, I love that. And you said, you. I mean, there's so much great information right there that you unpacked. And, and I want to kind of weave it into our last 2 bit of topics uh, uh, just so that we can uh, kind of round out this conversation. And so you're talking about sports, right, as that carrot to get them to come to school, right? The, the sport itself is what brings them to school. They know they have to have a certain GPA to participate in this sport. And so they come to school to do the work so they can play the sport. And so I want to ask, you know, what if a student is not into football? What if a student is not into baseball? What if they aren't into that? Is it it necessary for school districts to bring in sports that aren't necessarily the popular sports or the the sports that are used widely? And and let me give you an an example. Uh, So the school district that I had just left... um, we have uh, a, a large Asian population, and we noticed that a, a lot of these students were not participating sports. They weren't participating in volleyball or basketball or softball. They weren't doing any of that. And so it was brought to the attention of the district, hey, you know what, there is a sport called badminton that is really uh, a, a, a sport that, that, that is prolific in the Asian community. So why not bring this in and see how this goes? And so the district brought in a badminton team for the uh, junior high and high school. And I was, I was able to be a coach on that team for uh, seven years. And we had consistently 130 students coming out for this sport. And I will tell you about 80% of those 130, okay, those at home do the 100%, 80% of those 130 had never done a sport before. And I can tell you how I figured that out because it was the last sport of the year and the students needed a physical if they'd never participated in a sport. And we we had about 80% of the girls turn in physicals because they hadn't participated in any other sport. And they looked forward to that every single year. So bringing that sport brought students to athletics, gave that carrot to students who didn't have that before. Um, do we think it's important to be able to find those sports that aren't necessarily you know, popular, and I'm air quotes here, in the U.S. to ensure that every student has access uh, to a sport they want to be involved in?
0: Well, years ago when I was working down in Las Vegas, and we know if you've ever been to Las Vegas, you know that it is a hot desert. So the last thing you would probably think of is skiing and snowboarding. And I mean, I've always been. I've skied and snow. I've skied for a long time. I've never snowboarded. I've done that for a long time. And you had to travel when I lived in Las Vegas if you wanted to do something like that. I had a student come to me one day and say, "You know, I really wish we had a club for something like that. I think it'd be really cool, and it would introduce some people to the sports, even though we would have to do some traveling." So. We ultimately formed a club that I ran for five years a ski and snowboard club at a high school in Las Vegas where eventually we traveled to resorts in southern Utah and then up to Lake Tahoe and that was something you know we talked about the fundraising and grants and all that I mean that was a that was a monster of its own trying to fund something like that because skiing and snowboarding is not a cheap sport but we really have to pay attention to the students, Interest like that if a student comes to you and says you know I'm interested in something like this it may sound like some really specific niche type thing but at the same time though if we really want to you know bridge that gap in equity that we've been focused on now here for two episodes I really think that you just you got to give all ideas a chance there's no such thing as a bad idea and you know a lot of people laughed in my face about that I was the advisor of a ski and snowboard club and in the beginning I had three members but ultimately I end up having like 30 kids come to meetings and I would take like 20 kids on trips for that club out of something that a kid brought to me.
3: Well, I think if we are going to ask uh, teachers to, you know, be passionate about something, you need to listen to the kids. If they're passionate about something, you hook into it, whether it's in the classroom or after school or, you know, stuff like that, we have to be aware of their passions. And, you know, like Joe said, if, if, they're they're passionate about a sport that's not maybe uh, mainstream. Hey, go for it! And again, that's a mindset. That's just the way people have to think nowadays in education. Um, give these kids an opportunity to speak, you know, their passions, and then you go with it.
4: What do you guys Absolutely. think about like? Uh, go, ahead, go ahead, Jesus. Like uh, esports,
3: I know. Ah,
1: you're you reading my <laughs> mind, right? we we have that exact thing. Okay, tell me about esports, Jesus. What do you know about it?
4: So, I can tell you right now that it's it's not just playing video games these guys make money um same thing as a professional sport i mean there's that top level um but i i tweeted out one time um i think number 500 on the top 500 winners list like for 2018 uh that person made like 188,000 I'll, I'll take that i mean <laughs> i take that all day. And um that's probably not including what he made on twitch right streaming in oh, yeah. video games winnings oh yeah wow. and but, I mean, to connect it to, to a school site, I, I don't know if you guys know him, Paul Gordon. Um, he's on Twitter. He's a big 3D printer guy. Um, he's doing a lot of awesome stuff, and he has uh, eSports Club. And one of his students told, you know, him, hey, you know what? All these kids talk about Fortnite. I'm sure everybody here heard of Fortnite or, you yep. know, love or love it. I mean, but the kid told him, I've never played it. We don't have a tablet at home. We don't have internet. Kid comes from, you know, a rough background. And he almost cried in front of him and said, you know what? I can't believe, you know, I'm playing this and all my friends talk about it. I can't talk about it. I have to kind of like just listen and not say anything because I don't know anything about it. But he goes, now I do. Now you're giving me that chance to know about
1: it. You know, and, 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 but, but here's the, here's the thing, Jesus, how can you call it a sport? Right? It's not a sport. That's what I hear all the time. what would, what would you say to that?
4: I got, I got an answer for that. Um if you've never played, got I, I play Street Fighter. I'm not very competitive like I used to be when I was younger. <laughs> if if you guys wanted to play Street Fighter, I'll take my PS4 to queue. Um, and if you're like, "Well, this is a video game. I'm sure you can learn it in in a couple hours." I've been playing for like 20 years. I don't know unless you guys have been playing that long. You know, I don't think you guys would hang. But if I tell you, "Well, let's bet 100 bucks," you know that would change it too. But it it depends on a lot of things. With esports, it's a lot of reflexes. You have to be able to sit there sometimes for two, three hours. And you might say, Well you just sit in there. Yeah, but you have to have a focus on there. I mean look at golf. Is that really a sport? You have Uh-oh. to Oh, all the golf coaches <laughs> <are going>, What? <laughs> no, I, so
1: so thing you know, I, I agree and, and I have all those same comebacks as well. Like I you can go to the definition of a sport that says you know, anything that involves skill with an individual or a team that competes against each other for entertainment purposes, right? You can you, you can go through that definition, but you'll still have people say, it's not a sport. So I say this. Who cares, right? Yeah. Exactly. You know what I mean? It is it is a competition. There is no argument over that, nope. okay? So you, you can call it any competition. I don't care. The point is it's bringing something that brings joy to students that don't want to go down the path of football, baseball, track, any of those things. It does involve skill, because I'll tell you what, I've tried to play Rocket League, and I am horrible, and you have an eight-year-old scoring these goals that are crazy, so it does involve skill. And so what I say to this is, if it brings kids to the table, if it brings kids to say, you know what, we have this league now in our school, and it's actually a considered under, when I say considered a sport, it's under the athletics program where you have to have, A GPA on it and you have to have certain requirements to it if it brings kids to school and stay after school and feel part of a team I'm all for it because the problem we have is we have a lot of students who do live in the gaming culture they come to school because they're told to by their parents they're introverted they sit in the back they don't listen they don't want to do anything or they do it quietly I don't want to put a stigma on these on these students, but or they do it quietly. But as soon as the bell rings, they're running home. They put on their headsets and they're playing with strangers uh, online till all hours of the night. Why can't we bring that culture to school? That's what I say. Now and ultimately too it,
0: competition, let's let's do it. Ultimately too, I had um I had a conversation a few days ago with a gentleman named Mike Washburn. Um I was recording it with my partner Ben Dixon on my other podcast, the Beer EDU podcast. So if you haven't checked that one out, it's educators talking about education stuff over beer. It's a lot of fun. But this was our topic was esports, and if you we could have the conversation for a long time yet about is it a sport, is it not, and bringing joy and whatever. He brought in a lot of main great points about the academic side of it, to where how he used it to improve reading, writing, and math skills as well. So we'll be releasing that in the coming days. Love it, love it, and and
1: so so once again, it's all about bringing activities that bring joy to students that that bring an. E- an equity of, you know what, we have this many students who love playing football. That's why we brought football in. So it should be equitable to say that we have this many students who love participating in video games. Let's see, let's at least look into an esports club, right? And I'll tell you right now, and I'm going to give a shout out, Fresno Unified, which is one of the largest districts in California, they started an esports team back in June. So an esports club team for each high school. And it culminated in a district-wide tournament of 120 students playing against each other in a three-on-three tournament uh, for Rocket League. And it was a huge success. And we had parents in the audience. I was listening and the parents were saying, I've never seen my student so excited. I've never seen my student so sociable with other people. I've never seen my student feel like he belongs like he's here today. And that's the purpose of an enrichment activity. That feelingness of I am not alone anymore. I am with my people. Right. And that was an amazing feeling. And they're doing another tournament and it's open to all districts across the state, or across the U.S. if they want to fly in on on May 4th. It's an open tournament uh, in Rocket League that anybody can join. Uh, so if anybody's listening, if you have an esports club at your school and you and you're into Rocket League, there's going to be a Rocket League tournament here in the Central Valley on May 4th. And so that's going to be an amazing opportunity to see the skill level for all those students.
2: Now, I want to add to that, uh, as um, STEAM is getting more and more prevalent, more schools, uh, there, there's also a, uh, a necessity to have drone racing. Mm. And, oh, yeah. and when you start doing drone clubs and kids are not only going to be 3D printing and building their own drones, uh, they're going to be racing them, crashing them, rebuilding them. And uh, that's, that's a huge thing to, the, that a lot of us don't really even think about. We think, well, there's drone racing. Really?
3: That's a thing? It is a thing. Oh Yeah, it's no joke. I mean, those things are, I mean, that's some high reflexes, as tense focus. I mean, I've seen some of those guys doing those, uh, like, Competitive drone racing, my goodness! (laughs) They're flying them in in like uh, in parking
2: garages and stuff. Oh yeah, it takes it takes a lot of skill to be able to fly them at seventy miles an hour through those things. Yeah,
1: that's amazing. And and so I kind of want to close this conversation out because, Kylos, we're probably topping over forty five minutes at this point. Uh, I I want us as innovators to uh, just really quickly, we'll do a roundtable. Just quick comment on one. Um, what enrichment activity have we not talked about that you that you think needs to be done in the school? And or two, um, how can we ensure that uh, all schools have uh, at least one enrichment activity that benefits um, all their students on campus? Um, so uh, we'll go ahead and just popcorn it out. Uh, EDUs of innovation, unite. Let's see, what do we have?
3: I'm going to start with, um, I want to bring like uh, just Crafting in general, just uh, that art of crafting of something from nothing. Um, get the kids in a classroom with just a whole bunch of materials and, you know, solve a problem. Okay, here's all your material, go. Um, and just bring that enthusiasm and excitement uh, with LED lights, motors, buzzers, you name it, you know, copper tape, um, all the way up to the high-tech stuff. But just low-tech stuff, too. Here's the cardboards and some, you know, material, go. Um, Excellent. All right. I'm going to uh,
2: jump in here with uh, podcasting is my big passion and especially student podcasting. Yes, I do a lot of stuff with um, with Arduinos, MicroBits, and Raspberry Pi, but uh, there is a real value for adding podcasting to the classroom. And uh, to say that it's even an enrichment activity would be really to, I think, minimize what you can do with podcasting. But it Really, is not that hard to start creating uh, student roundtables and have students actually lead discussions about what they've learned and start putting that into a podcast and uh, curating that content. And honestly, everybody, just to start, all you need is this thing right here. You just need your cell phone to start with it. And uh, it is a great learning experience for students. And my Yale students love it. My... uh, Computer science students, which I just started them doing roundtables. They absolutely love it, and they get a lot from doing podcasting and being able to uh, to rehash their learning, to go deep into their learning, and really just learn to communicate with each other.
4: Awesome. Hey, Sus, what about you? For me, um, it's usually I, I try stuff out at home. My son's my little guinea pig. Um so three d printing we did it first here, at robots, all that um he loves making movies, but he loves doing animation so um if you guys have a chance, check out um source filmmaker. what you do is they have assets there, but you can bring in three d models and yesterday he was showing me i I don't know how to use it you know um, and I told him you need to show me because I want to take him to the classroom um but you have like a model and when you click on, say the hand, you see every joint, every like tendon. So I mean, you can move everything how you want it to. So it can go really deep, but it's, it's really powerful. And I think it, it would allow kids that, okay, you know, I can't really draw, but I I have this idea for like a cartoon or something funny or something serious. And this is how I want to say it. I think that's one of the things that I think it's untapped right now. And that's the one that I I really want to bring it in. I mean, but if not that, I mean, of course, 3D printing. There's there's all kinds of, there's a chocolate 3D printer I'm going to get for my classroom. <laughs> uh, it should be here before Q. So that'll be fun. Yeah, awesome. I'll, I'll get something. Um, but yeah, there's like SLA printers, which are like uh, the liquid printers, but those are very, the, 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 the resin, it's a liquid. It's very toxic. Maybe in the high school, you know, but. Um, yeah, not not the junior high. Boys
1: like to drink anything that looks like Kool-Aid.
4: <laughs> and it's a little bottle like this so i'm like yeah yeah, like, you know yeah definitely the animation aspect because because going back to david david i i really like that you mentioned art earlier you mentioned crafting uh corey um that stuff is huge because I, I think when they're allowed to do some kind of artwork i mean even if it's animation you know with 3d models
0: it expands their minds a lot a lot that's amazing kyle what about yourself yeah i do want to mention just real quick that um Congratulations are or in order to Zeus as he was named one of the Leroy Finkel Fellowship uh, finalists oh, yeah. at Q. Nice. So um, we're looking forward to seeing um, your presentation at Q here in about a month or so. But um, get, getting back to the focus here a little bit, um, my, my thought is that we just really need to start focusing more, I believe, on providing students choices in different electives and courses um, with the CTE career and technical education mindset, where um, not all students are going are college bound, um, be, and we we do need people that are not going to go to college and that are going to work those quote unquote insert whatever colorful adjective you want to here. kind of jobs, whatever. We need mechanics. We need construction workers. We need IT um, personnel. We need all those people that they don't need a college degree in order to, A, get a great job in a great career, and B, make a lot more money than a lot more college-educated uh, people are making. So I really think our schools need to focus more on incorporating some of these CTE-type programs and classes into their curriculum
1: that's fantastic and and i'm going to end this segment right here uh with two uh and and it's it's kind of going off kyle what you said it's about you know what are kids going to what what jobs are out there that 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 will get kids excited and for me right now advertising is incredibly important i think and so if you can, you know, there's a yearbook group of, of students, right? There's a production group at a lot of schools, but there needs to be an advertising group for the schools because right now, social media advertising is incredibly important. And so at football games, at events for the school, you always send people from the yearbook committee, right? And they take pictures and stuff. Why not have a student that is the, the, the master of the social media? And the kids are snapping pictures of the events and posting online and tagging on all the different platforms.
2: Ask Adam Juarez about that. He's been doing that with uh, his with his students and teaching yeah. them how to do social media uh, marketing for events.
1: Exactly. And so that's, that's what I would say. I think that's one of those enrichment activities that, that needs to be a club or even a class in and of itself. The history of advertising, the psychology of advertising. All this stuff is incredibly important and it, and it can you know weave in and out of different subjects as well and the last thing I would say yeah one of those things where you know I have a dream where all kids from all areas can participate in a single location and that's a makers thing right mm-hmm. and so I think there should be always in every school and I know that's a big dream a communal location where at lunch or break or after school the kids can go and make whatever they want. So, Corey, going along with your craft idea, a makerspace doesn't have to be just technology or yep. code or Arduino's or three D printing. It can be crafts. And if you can meld two worlds together into one, boom, you just blown something up, right? And one of my things that that I want to end with, and we'll probably have a, a bigger makerspace episode, is next generation clothing. Uh, if you if you saw uh, the announcement on Twitter a few days ago, the NBA just released uh, their mock-up of the next generation NBA clothing, where with an app, you can actually change the name and number on the back of a uniform just by clicking the app. And students can do that today with LED, I mean, it'd be a, a crude model, but with LEDs, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so not only are you bringing in coding and, and innovation in that way, But you can bring in those students who love to sew and don't think they're part of a makerspace, but yes you are. You can bring in those students who want to design fabric and have a fabric printer. Those are things we don't think about because we think of a makerspace as more of the techie stuff. But if you can bring students from different facets of life to collaborate on a single project, that is the next generation that's coming out there. I think that's a phenomenal way to just round out what an enrichment activity or just an engrossing activity. Because Dave, I think you're right. Just labeling things as enrichment when it's really something that can change lives is extremely important. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know the. The hairs on the back of my neck are standing up just because I get to talk with you, amazing educators, and, and we get to spend the beginning of a weekend just chatting about the future and and what our students need. Uh, and but I, I do know you know if, if if you know if you're listening to this podcast, you're like wow, it's it's almost an hour. So I, I do know we do need to end. Uh, but but I I, I want to tell everybody listening that all this information we're going to be putting things into our uh, our episode notes on all these different things that we've talked about. And and we will have larger episodes on a lot of these different facets. So, hey, hopefully you'll join us again for our 3D printing episode. Um, David and Corey, I hope you co- you join us back again for our, our coding and drones episode. Yes, I just threw Absolutely. a drone episode in because that's important. Absolutely. Um, but, but I just wanna say thank you again uh, to my SOT crew, Sons of Technology crew, my EDUs of Innovation, um, I just want to make sure that you all know that that you inspire me and i I, I, I hope that we uh, inspire you all of you listening um, and so I just want to you know give a quick shout out to uh, my co-conspirator Kyle who I want to tell you just got accepted as a as a boom presenter uh, for nice. uh, Q as well so he's gonna be part of the the Boom Q Crew. Thanks, guys. Uh, we got to we got to be part of the Boom Q Crew back at the, at Fall Q, which was yeah, an amazing. Thank you. Period. Yeah, that was good. Um, but I just want to say thank you to every single one of you. You make you you make me a better person, not just a better teacher. And and uh, I, I I'm full of humility when I get to be a part of this, and we can get on Twitter and ask for your participating per, per, t- participation, and you're like, yeah, let's do it. And so I just want to say thank you so much, and I, I just want to say um, that, that if, if you inspire me this much, I hope we are at least inspiring one or two of you out there listening.
4: Dude, you're going to make me cry right now. I'm not, <laughs> honestly,
0: yeah. No, I'm not, not just be funny, but just, you know, that's just awesome like you said. No, I feel like uh, like Rocky now or something like that. I feel like i got to go out and do something now. Like I'm all motivated, so I appreciate it, Joe. Thanks a lot. I'm going to go out and race my drone right now. <laughs> <laughs> I nice. go practicing. Oh
3: wait, I got to practice my video game skills because uh, I think uh, we're gonna t- have a little, uh, competition at uh, Spring Q, right?
1: I think we're gonna have to. Yeah, absolutely. That's
3: it, Tom. Uh,
4: nice. So,
1: so, well, I just wanted to, to end this episode. I want to say thank you so much for everybody uh, joining us here in the Sons of Technology Clubhouse. Thank you for joining us in this incredibly important discussion. Uh, part three of this equity trilogy uh, will be recorded soon and that is going to be on one-to-one. How is one-to-one equitable and how can we make it equitable because just one-to-one being equal is not, uh, is, not, is not the end-all be-all. We need to find a way to make it equitable for all students. So thank you everybody for joining us today. Corey, David, Jesus, Kyle, uh, myself, Joe Marquez. Uh, Thank you so much for for joining us today. And as always, get out there, take risks, and make a difference. Thanks, everybody, and have a great morning, evening, or night.